folks, Jeff Salzman here. Welcome to the Daily Evolver, this last episode of 2021. It's December 29th. I do this show live through Integral Life, and thank you, Integral Life, for hosting me these many years. I do it live on Wednesdays at 1 o'clock Mountain Time, 3 o'clock Eastern Time, on the first and third Wednesday of the month. You know, today is an extra added day. This is the, I guess, fourth Wednesday of the month, but um, we are a fifth, I don't know. But at any rate, I'm happy to be here. And um, I just thought I would come on and do an extra show because I, what else do I have to do? <laughs> and, um, it's um, the end of the year and I was musing about the end of the year and the state of the world. And of course, the integral perspective is that culture and consciousness are evolving and that that process is beautiful, but not pretty. And this is another year that I think expresses both of those things. I'm gonna start with a question that I received this morning from one of my listeners. Bob, and it was very short and sweet. And I think uh, he hit a point that I think really is emblematic of where we are. And he said, Jeff, sure would appreciate your attention to the New York Times article, why so many democracies are floundering. And he said it was published two days ago. I see this as the number one issue going forward. Okay, so I took a look at the article, and it's by Richard Pildes. He's a legal scholar. And here's how he starts. He says, the most pervasive and perhaps deepest challenge facing virtual, virtually all Western democracies today is the political fragmentation of democratic politics. So the biggest challenge is political fragmentation. It is the dispersion of political power into so many different hands and centers of power that it becomes difficult for democratic governments to function effectively. President Biden has recognized this historic challenge, calling the defining mission of his presidency to be winning the, quote, battle between the utility of democracies in the 21st centuries and autocracies. So that's Biden's historic challenge. And then he goes on, uh, Pildes does. Yet even with unified control of government, that is the Democrats have the Congress and the presidency, the internal divisions of the Democratic Party, Party postponed passage of Biden's bipartisan infrastructure bill for several months and have made it uncertain which parts, if any, of the Build Back Better proposal will be enacted. All right, so I'm just gonna stop right there and, you know, is, is this a sign that government isn't working? That the infrastructure bill took several months? That's and then passed with clear bipartisan majority. Uh, and that's a $1.2 trillion plan. And that the $2 trillion plan, the Build Back Better, which is the climate, childcare, social spending, affordable housing, et cetera, all things I agree with, uh, did not pass yet, although various aspects of the bill will be brought up in the new year, and we'll see what happens to them. 
a clear majority of people in the country agreed with both outcomes. I'm not sure that's a sign that the government's not working. Maybe it's a sign that it is actually, but to go on. When democratic governments seem incapable of delivering on their promises, the failure can lead to alienation, resignation, distrust and withdrawal among many citizens. Well, yeah, that's right. First of all, the democratic government did not make the promise. Democratic government is split on this social spending and majority is against it. Joe Biden didn't even make the promises for the social spending in his campaign. I was listening to a podcast last night by Zach Stein, and he was talking about how one of the characteristics of democracy is that it requires us to learn how to lose. And um, if you're a progressive who wanted this spending, then yeah, it, it, government didn't deliver it. Biden wanted, wanted it, but it didn't happen. But this is democracy. In autocracies, win all, but not in democracies. So here's what else Pildes says. He says, the central story of the Biden administration is whether the Democratic Party can overcome its internal conflicts to deliver, to deliver effective policies. It took a disastrous election night, this is the Virginia governor's election, for progressives to bury their concerns and support the infrastructure bill, and several now regret having done so. Okay, so what? The recent collapse of Build Back Better, at least for now, led to a remarkable public bloodletting uh, between different elements of the party. In this era, party leaders lack the leverage they once had to force party members to accept the party line. So again, not uh, signs of a dysfunctional government uh, necessarily. And uh, my bigger problem with the article in general is that everything is presented as if it shouldn't be happening. And from an evolutionary point of view, perhaps it should because things aren't going to stay the same and culture is complexifying to the point where yes, there are many nodes of power and centers of power. It's not what it used to be. I just did a podcast that really just addresses what he's talking about here with the split in the Democratic Party, a podcast called The Left's Split, Woke and Anti-Woke. Well, that's the cultural side of this, but the economic side of this is that there's a progressive egalitarian uh, you know, want to restructure, rework capitalism into a more socialistic, I get it, I'm, I basically support it. But that, that is a emergent um, side of the left as the left like an amoeba splits, which is the nature of evolution. There's a differentiation and then there's an integration. And right now the Democratic Party is in a differentiation mode as is the Republican party actually. The center, uh, still most people are at the center, but these extremes, the Magistan, Wokistan, egalitarians, uh, nationalists, they have emerged out of the mushy middle and welcome to evolution. He talks about this as happening in Europe as well. He talks about the unraveling of the traditionally dominant center-left and center-right major parties and coalitions that have governed since World War II. 
And again, why wouldn't they um, unravel? What he's not noting is the raveling that is going on in many other ways, which I'll get to in a minute. But he makes his point, he says, from 2015 to 2017, over 30 new political parties entered European parliaments. That's a lot. Across European democracies, the percentage of people who identify strongly with a political party or who are members of one has declined precipitously. In Germany, the stable anchor of Europe since the 50s, the two major parties regularly used to receive over 90% of the vote combined. In this fall's election, that plummeted to less than 50%. Digital pop-up parties, including anti-party parties, arise out of nowhere and radically disrupt politics as the Brexit party did in Britain and the Five Star Movement did in Italy. So yeah, so uh, again, I don't disagree with him, but I would just note that this is the evolution into new structures of consciousness and culture and new structures of government that we don't exactly know what they're gonna be. But what is, uh, from an integral developmental point of view, we, have, we are solidly into, at least at the leading edge, the leading edge of culture on the planet is more or less center of gravity green. And that happens in both third person, second person, and first person. Every, we move into new stages of development in third, second, and first person. And third person is the key here with the movement into green, and that's social media in general. And that there is just a complexification of the media sphere, of, of the newest sphere, of the things that people know and talk about. And that has been happening since day one. Complexification is just the nature of evolution. And so there's more dots, <clears throat> there's more ways to connect them. There's a, there's a second person thing that happens in the ways that people relate to each other, the kinds of arguments they have, the number of people they're relating to. I often point out that I think my grandfather maybe knew 50 people. I know 500. I can randomly or intelligently deal with thousands online. And that, of course, creates a first person analog which is, you know, a new view of, um, of the world, <laughs> a new worldview. I, I would argue that the leading edge of that is the worldview that knows that it has a worldview and knows that other people have different worldviews and becomes very curious about that instead of critical. And so they try to include worldviews that are different than their native worldviews. And, um, and I noticed that in the integral world, the people I know in the integral world, this post-progressive world that is self-consciously coming online, whether or not people know integral theory. I know people in the integral movement who are on the left, who are on the right, who are into God and angels, who are completely against anything supernatural. I was listening to one of the leading voices that is getting a lot of attention in the integral movement last night talking about, you know, no supernatural. 
that modernity shattered the mythic stage of development. It, didn't, it thinks it did. That's the problem. That's one of the big problems is modernity thought that it shattered the mythic worldview, but it's still there, actually, and it's still installed in all of us. And I'll comment more on him uh, as I study more of what he's saying, but I was shocked by that just in the first hour of listening to him. But again, there's people who are into aliens, people who are into shamans, people who are woke, anti-woke, vax, anti-vax. There's a whole new uh, plethora, exponential plethora of dots that we can connect. And that's how we tell the story of the world in our life is by connecting dots. But at the integral stage, we realize that, that you know, we can actually see the whole system of dots and see that it itself is evolving. So as I often say, we are fighting and friending our way forward. And, uh, and I would say that we're friending to fighting at a, at a rate of about four to one. And I think that's very good news. <laughs> I think that's still happening. Again, agree with the article that things are splintering. Um, I think it's, it's nerve wracking. I think for people who really identify with the previous system, it feels like a disintegration and an unraveling, and it is. Welcome to evolution, welcome to human history. But there's a re-raveling that is happening that is harder to discern. But I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Because the other thing I, I always wanna point out is the media fear industrial complex and how we can be, you know, sort of overtaken by the, the media who is staffed with really great people who really mean well, and they're doing good work. And I'm not against it. I just want to notice it, that it's also a for-profit business. Its job is to keep your eyeballs riveted on it so that it can sell you more ads and they can make more money. I mean, both of those things are true. And we want to just keep that in mind. And I really had that uh, driven home to me the other night when I was talking to an old friend who's lived in Boulder since the 70, 1970. And I asked him if he remembered the 1974 bombings at CU, up here at CU, Colorado University. Six people died. Uh, leftist bombings, occupied the, they occupied the president's office as well. And he said, oh, yeah, he could barely remember it. <laughs> but could you imagine something like hap that happening today? Yeah, I just want to you know, keep that all in mind because there's no floundering free option. We flounder our way forward. And the present only looks bad in relationship to your idea of how it should be. Your, your own ideology about how things ought to be. Uh, fair enough. Uh, it looks good if you compare it to any other time in history and the trajectory of history. And that gets me to another thing I, I stumbled across recently. And this is an article uh, a couple days ago from the Financial Times titled, Human Progress Stumbles on, Pandemic or No Pandemic. He writes, in most years, the world gets better. And I've done uh, podcasts every year on why this was the best year in human history. And it always gets me the most mail that says, are you crazy? But, you know, it's not as simple as that. There's lots of ways we can measure that and lots of things we want to take into account. 
but in terms of things that matter to people who are really at the bottom of the pyramid, who are just working on food and security and decency, um, way better, uh, relentlessly. So he writes, it seldom feels that way, admittedly, the world gets better, but that's human nature. We worry about the catastrophe in the news, the earthquake, the war, the famine, or the pandemic, and miss the gradual but relentless growth of production, technology, understanding. It is interesting then to ask, did the world get better during 2020 and 2021? The answer is probably. And the second question, did the pandemic mark an actual setback to human progress? And to that, the answer is no. And, um, and then he goes on to talk about uh, lots of things, but one of them is COVID. And that, you know, currently we've lost 5 million people. The Spanish flu back in 100 years ago was somewhere between 50 and 100 million people. We didn't, don't even have a good count on it at a far smaller population on the globe. So uh, as he makes the point, this could have been, this COVID disease could have been much worse. Uh, and, you know, I don't think, I think that's small comfort, uh, particularly for the 5 million plus the, you know, many more million who are sick and in some cases debilitated by it but it does put it into a historical context. He talks about the vaccines were a spectacular success, 9 billion doses in 21 months. Uh, he doesn't mention all the new medicines that are post-diagnosis that are coming down the pike, but those two are game changers. And then he, looking at economic data, says that in most rich countries, the output in 2021 was indeed less than 2019. So the rich countries took a nick. But overall, the world economy grew by 2.6% during the pandemic. And um, yeah, he also points out, uh, as he says, it's important to note that it is our very prosperity that makes the virus so disruptive in terms of lockdowns, et cetera. Advanced countries are willing and able to pay a high price to save a small number of lives. And I'm gonna read that sentence again. Advanced countries are willing and able to pay a high price to save a small number of lives. There's an intelligence there. There is a, you know, I, I would point out, you know, for the, for the government's no longer working view that in, I think it was whenever it was, 2020, 2019, Trump spent $2.3 billion, $2.3 trillion on COVID bailouts, basically, for individual people and small businesses, Trump. And the Congress lined up squarely behind him. Uh, according to the Wa uh, Washington Post, if you count the Federal Reserve's efforts in fighting COVID, the... Um, the total amount of money spent on the, on the pandemic is over $6 trillion. That happened. And it happened in a way that was, I think, pretty quick. And um, I think the system, you know, worked. <laughs> is there t corruption and is there unfairness? And can you find story after story of people who did get the bailout and who didn't? Yes, yes, yes. But as a aggregate, 
it's really pretty astonishing, I think. Okay, so then he talks about what are the downsides of what happened in the last couple of years. One is that inequality grew. And I think that there is, you know, there's a, there's a increasing sensitivity and in knowledge. This is sort of our green sensibility that's coming online that it's not okay to live in a world where people have hundreds of billions of dollars and people are scrambling to eat. You know, the inequality is a, is a bad thing for morally, you know, and, and of course there's limits to that. And, you know, there's a long process of evolution that has to happen around that. But I would also point out that as the rich got richer, so did the poor and Let's note, it, note that it's not a rich got richer and the poor got poorer thing. It's a rich got richer faster than the poor, but the poor, poor got richer too. He points out carbon dioxide concentrations at the Mauna Loa Observatory went up from 2019 to 2021, from 414 to 420 parts per million. And, um, you know, the climate crisis is something that we are turning our attention to and creativity to, and I think we'll probably muddle through there. I've talked a lot about it. You can go back to past podcasts and where I look at the uh, climate crisis from an integral point of view, and I invite you to do so if you're so inclined. Talked about in Taiwan, Ukraine threatened peace uh, with Russia threatening Ukraine, China threatening Taiwan. Uh, that is indeed a uh, something to keep our eye on. And evolutionarily speaking, there's a stage of development. And a friend that listened to the podcast wrote to me, called it anocracies. And that's countries that have one foot in modernity and one foot in traditionalism. And China and Russia, I think, both qualify for that. And so do, you know, about 30% of the people in the developed countries but higher percentages, probably more like 70 or 80% are traditionalists in Russia and China. And, um, you know, traditionalists are about empires and conquering. And we'll, we'll see how the modern world tempers these traditionalist impulses in these countries. And if uh, the modern world can uh, exact a, 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 or threaten a high price for these kinds of actions, uh, but that is, you know, where we're at. Uh, he points out nuclear weapons are still a leading contender for how humanity will eventually destroy itself. And I can't argue with that. I don't think we're going to have the kind of nuclear wars that we feared in the 70s during the Cold War, where there'd be hundreds of thousands of weapons launched at, at each other. But do I think a nuclear weapon will go off in some sort of a terrorist attack? I think there's a very good chance of that. When you have so many people, uh, traditional and earlier, pre-modern mentalities that see the modern world as a great Satan and a nuclear backpack is available to them, they would be delighted to blow themselves and the rest of the world in their kingdom come, or at least the city that they're in. So um, I think that's true. And then, you know, the thing that we all always have to keep in mind uh, as we're looking at the world and seeing the progress 
uh, and seeing the flourishing of creativity and material well-being is that there are people, I would call them the red, the purple strata, the earlier stages of development, who are living in as low a circumstance as has ever been lived in by human beings. And, you know, so we have Afghanistan, we have Myanmar, we have, of course, the perennial champion, North Korea. We have what's going on in Venezuela and Nicaragua, where these autocracies are very stubborn. And you can argue that they are oppressing a people who are at a higher stage of development than they are. Uh, but that's true in the world. And we have to, you know, really pour our attention into these countries. And, uh, and, and also the people who are living in these uh, earlier strata, if you will, in our own countries. So people who are living hand to mouth in America, uh, in, on the streets, um, addicted, um, even criminals. You know, what we do with people who are, we have to, they, they are still our brothers and sisters and they have to be taken care of in a way that we haven't really figured out yet. I think that's one of the challenges going forward. So, um, and I think, you know, this issue in general of the fracturing of attention of power structures and power centers and the sort of morphing of them, you know, that's gonna take a new mind to deal with. And, you know, that's why we have kids. <laughs> I mean, a lot of it's beyond me, but, um, you know, I see the world turning. And I agree with you, Bob, that it's, I don't know if it's the number one issue going forward, but it's a feature of what it means to move forward in the world. So, yeah, that's, that's helped me a lot to not get gripped around my own storyline. And at, at this point, that's a relief. You know, I've often talked about this philosophical principle um, that was developed in 1970 something by, I forget his name, a Polish philosopher. It's called the law of the infinite cornucopia, which states that there, for any ideology you wanna have or worldview you wanna have, there is more than enough uh, evidence to support it. And you, you see that, I mean, that's welcome to the social media where we're just having dueling worldviews constantly. But again, evolution likes that. Evolution doesn't like when we get all comfortable. And so what we always wanna notice is that we are fighting online more than we are fighting in real life. That's huge progress. And that there is a leading edge of people. And again, I see it in the self-identified integral community or progressive or post-progressive thinking communities, but just in general among the intelligentsia that people are getting more bored. <laughs> Boredom is the great engine of evolution. Human beings can't be bored for long. And they're getting bored with this right fighting uh, where they're defending their you know, woke, anti-woke vax, anti-vax. Uh, still plenty of that going on, don't kid yourself. But um, there's an emergent percentage or two or three or five that is rising out of that 
becoming curious about worldviews other than their own and integrating them. So differentiation and integration, this is one of the engines of evolution, the actual process of evolution. Things that were fused start getting tense and then they split and then they hate each other and then they realize they can't change each other and they walk through the desert together and then finally they decide to become in community with each other. And um, that's the story of history and it's still going on into 2022. <laughs> so yeah, um, more to come. I appreciate you tuning in with me today. And um, again, I will be doing these every first and third Wednesday on Integral Life Live, uh, often posted on the Daily Evolver. Sometimes I post them, sometimes I don't. And then on Fridays, I will be doing, I will be continuing, not this Friday because it's New Year's Eve, but going into the new year, every Friday at 11 a.m. Mountain Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, I'll be doing This Week in the News on the post-progressive Facebook. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, get in touch with me if you are so moved. Jeff at Daily Evolver. And uh, otherwise, Happy New Year, everybody. We'll see you in 2022.